frustrated with is playing board games. And a few years ago, Ness and I and a bunch of friends in our house were playing a game of Trivial Pursuit. Now, generally, I don't mind playing Trivial Pursuit, and I'm a bit of a competitive person anyway and like to win. But this night was very frustrating because no matter how hard I tried or anybody in the house tried that evening, it felt like nobody could get a question of Trivial Pursuit right and it was just absolutely frustrating. I don't know if you know Einstein's kind of a law of insanity where you just keep doing the same thing over and over again expecting a different result. Well it felt like that playing Trivial Pursuit. We got so frustrated that in the end we threw the box of questions away and we started to make up our own questions but we still couldn't get any right. It was so frustrating. We all get frustrated at times. Maybe it's board games for you, maybe it's something else. You know, when the batteries in the remote don't work and you're like, I know I've got spare batteries somewhere, but you can never find them when you need them. Uh, or when you're at work and your friend friend gets promoted, but not you, you feel frustrated because you've earned it. But also in our relationships, we can easily get frustrated. Uh, kids with your parents, don't you get frustrated sometimes? Parents with your kids, don't you get frustrated sometimes? And then husbands and wives, the most intimate of all relationships that we can share on this earth, we do get frustrated with our spouse sometimes. And of course, there are many reasons we get frustrated in relationships. Sometimes it's misunderstanding or miscommunication. Sometimes it's just because we're plain filled with pride and sin and we just hurt somebody. Uh, but, but sometimes it's just misunderstanding and miscommunication. We make assumptions, but they're the wrong assumption that causes conflict. And the question I want us to think about tonight is how can we turn relational conflict into relational closeness? And, and is that even possible? Because when you're in a conflict situation, when you're feeling frustrated in relationships, it feels like a place of suffering. But can it be also a place of strength and growth? I think the answer is yes, and you're going to see tonight in Song of Songs that that is just the case. Now, sadly, Ed, this is not the final episode in the Song of Songs. It's the next episode in the Song of Songs, but we've still got two more episodes after this to go. But we're well and truly past halfway. And what I've hoped you've discovered in our journey in Song of Songs is that this song is a, a vivid picture illustration, if you like, of what genuine human love and intimacy can look like if you follow God's pattern created in the Garden of Eden. And what have we seen so far? We've seen the importance of words of affirmation. We've seen the importance of being a place of safety for your husband or your wife. We've seen the importance of restraint and that you can't just follow every desire that comes into your mind. And last week, we've seen the value of physical affection and intimacy in growing married relationships. Now, the relationship of the couple that we've been following in Song of Songs is quite passionate. You've probably seen that over the weeks. But it's also not perfect. And I think that's an important point to notice. As passionate as this couple is, their relationship is not perfect. Right from chapter 1 and chapter 2, we've seen that the wife in particular often has feelings of doubt and insecurity and needs to be wooed over and over again by her lover, her husband. And as we come to chapter 5 and chapter 6 tonight, we see that there is an, uh, an air of frustration that comes into their relationship again. 
But they worked through the frustration. They worked through the conflict, if you like, and become close and closer again. And I think there's some helpful tips for us for when we're feeling frustrated in our relationships, whether it's with our spouse or with our kids or with our parents or our friends or our colleagues uh, at work. The first thing I want you to see is from verse 2 through to verse 6 of chapter 5, and it's the scene, and I'm calling it the lover's conflict. The passage begins, you can see there, verse 2, where she says this, I sleep but my heart is awake. Now, what does that mean? I sleep, but my heart is awake. Well, she could be dreaming, if you like. Like she's sleeping, but there's an active thing that's happening while she's sleeping. Uh, and, and the language of chapter 5 is very similar to some of the language that we saw in chapter 3, where it appeared that she was dreaming there. So maybe she's having another dream here. Or it could mean, I sleep but my heart is awake. She's trying to sleep, but her heart is so filled with activity and and maybe anxious anticipation thoughts that she can't sleep. Either way, I think she's on her bed. So we're back in her bedroom. She's there by herself, waiting for her husband to come home. And then he comes. Verse End of verse 2, a sound. My love is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my perfect one, my cutie pie. For my head is drenched with dew, my hair with droplets of the night. Now, what is happening there? Well, it could be that, you know, she is lying on her bed, you know, waiting for her husband to come home. Maybe he's been out late working in the fields or doing something and he's finally coming home and he's knocking on the door. Darling, honey, cutie pie, I'm home. Let's spend some time together. Could be that they're both actually lying in bed together and he rolls over and he says, knock, knock, who's there? Would you like to spend some time together here? But then things don't go according to plan. Verse 3, she says, I have taken off my clothing. How can I put it back on? I have washed my feet. How can I get them dirty? Maybe he is outside the bedroom. Maybe he is literally knocking on the door saying, Honey, I'm home. Let's spend some time together. And she's like, I've been waiting here. I was ready two hours ago. And you come home at this late hour? I'm frustrated. You didn't even call. You can stay outside tonight. There's no chance for you coming into this nice warm bed. She's like, but phones haven't been invented yet. How could I call you, my love, my darling, my cutie pie? I'm ready now. Let me in. My hair is wet from the dew of the night. I just want to be with you. She's like, no, none of that. You're outside in the shed tonight. It could be that. Or... Given what she said at the end of verse 2, a sound, my love is knocking. There is an air where she's actually glad that he's come home. So why this negativity at his presence? Well, could it be that she's playing a game with him? You know, feigning disinterest, playing hard to get in this kind of marital game that they're playing together together. 
that could be the case. We don't know for sure, but it could be the case because of what she says next in verse 4. Have a look. After she says, how can I get myself dirty again? She says, my love thrust his hand through the opening and my feelings were stirred for him. I rose to open for my love. My hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with flowing myrrh on the handles of the bolt. Now, you can read between the lines there. There's uh, some verses there that are just dripping with sexual arousal and anticipation. And, and this is her speaking. So maybe she is playing a little bit of a game with her husband. She actually is very keen to spend some quality time uh, with him. But things don't go according to plan again. Because like many men that exist in our world, he can't read between the lines. He misunderstands her thoughts. And so this is what follows. Verse 6, I opened to my love, but my love had turned and gone away. I was crushed that he had left. I sought him, but did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. She's turned. I'm ready, but he's gone. Whatever's happened there, there's been some misunderstanding or some miscommunication about each other's expectations and he's taken her game as not interested. And so he's just walked out and left. She's obviously crushed by that because that was not her intention. Her intention was to have a bit of fun, to play a game, that they might be intimate together. But he hasn't heard it that way. And so she then goes out to find her love again to reconcile verse 7 but it doesn't go according to plan again the guards who go about the city found me they beat and wounded me they took my cloak from me the guardians of the walls and the language there is very similar to chapter 3 where in her dream where she chases after her beloved again she discovers these guards these watchmen of the city and they help her find her lover but here, this is a nightmare. For the guards don't help her, they hurt her. And whether it's a dream or whether it's reality, it's a horrible dream if it is, and it's even more horrible if this is reality. But then in verse 8, I think we get to the reality. There's been some miscommunication, misunderstanding, frustration, conflict in their relationship, and she feels that she needs to get him back. And then verse 8, she knows that she needs some help. And so she says to her friends, Young women of Jerusalem, I charge you, if you find my love, tell him that I am lovesick. So this is the lover's chase. She's left the safety of the room. She's trying to find her husband. She's pursuing him. But there's some barriers to it because of the guards. They're not helping. But she's got some friends. Her friends will help her find her husband. Well, things don't go according to plan again. Because look at how the friends respond. They say in verse 9, What makes the one you love better than another most beautiful of women? What makes him better than another that you would give us this charge? In modern day language, they might be saying, why should we care? What makes him so special? There are plenty of other gentlemen here. 
I chase after him, choose one of these fantastic specimens. He's not special. He's left. He obviously doesn't care about you anyway. Just move on. There's plenty more fish in the sea. That's kind of what they're saying. But she's not satisfied with that response. For her, her husband is not just another body that she can spend time with. For her, just like she is to him, is someone unique and precious. Someone that she has promised to love and to cherish until death do them part. And what follows in her response to her friends in verse 10 to verse 16 of chapter 5 is this time she is describing him. And what I want you to notice as I read it out again is the language that she uses to describe his body. And it's language dripping with precious metals and jewels. It's meant to evoke that he is precious to her, not just another dude. He is precious. Listen to it again. Why should we care about this guy? Because my love is fit and strong, notable among 10,000. His head is purest gold. His hair is wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water washed in milk and set like jewels. His cheeks are like beds of spice, towers of perfume. His lips are lilies dripping with flowing myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with topaz. His body is an ivory panel covered with sapphires. His legs are alabaster pillars set on pedestals of pure gold. His presence is like Lebanon, as majestic as the cedars. His mouth is sweetness. And here is the final picture of how precious he is to her. He is absolutely desirable. This is my love. This is my friend, young women of Jerusalem. Now, as I've been saying with the poetry and Song of Songs, you're not so much to see what she sees. You're not meant to picture this guy actually with gold arms and gold legs and a body of ivory covered with that. Like, it'd be a weird picture to actually picture, just like trying to see her with goat's hair and, you know, sheep teeth. You're not meant to see that. You're meant to feel what he and she feel and the repetition of the precious jewels the sapphires the the gold the topaz are meant to reveal that to her he is precious he is not like toothpaste that if you don't like one you can chuck it out and you just go buy another brand that's not how marriage and relationships work and she knows it she misses him there's been a misunderstanding but she wants him back because he is precious to her. Anyway, chapter 6, verse 1, she manages to convince her friends that he's worth chasing. So chapter 6, verse 1, the friends reply, Where has your love gone, most beautiful of women? Which way has he turned? We will seek him with you. Now they want to help. Okay, you've convinced us he's precious, your marriage is worth saving, let's help you find him. So begins the search. But as the search begins, verse 2, you soon realise that there's no search necessary. Verse 2, where is he? My love has gone down to his garden, to beds of spice, to feed in the gardens and gather lilies. I am my love's and my love is mine. He feeds among the lilies. 
And you haven't quite worked out over Song of Songs what the garden and the lilies are referring to. It's referring to their happy place, to their bedroom. She is the lily and the garden is the place that they find satisfaction in each other's arms. Where has he gone? We don't know. But where have they ended back up again? Back in the bedroom. What are we meant to make of that? How long did the chase last for? Not long. Because as she has pursued him, it's likely that he has also pursued her, given how quickly their miscommunication, their misunderstanding, their conflict was resolved. And so here you can see an example where frustration in a relationship can be overcome, where conflict can lead to closeness. Now, I'm not naive enough to know that in the real world that this doesn't always happen for every marriage or every frustration in relationships. Sometimes, misunderstandings, miscommunication, even open conflict does not get resolved. I know that. And that's sad when that happens. And maybe you know of relationships, couples, marriages, maybe even in your own families where that has happened. It is sad. But it doesn't need to be that way. Here is an example of where it can be overcome. Sure, it's not a major area of conflict, you know, where he has hurt her or she has hurt him. It's just a misunderstanding about wanting to spend time together. One thought it was a game, the other thought it was grumpiness. But even the most smallest of misunderstandings and relationships, if not dealt with quickly, can lead to bigger problems, can't they? And so they resolve it quickly and they enter a place of closeness again. So what can we learn from this chapter about dealing with frustration and conflict in our relationships. Here is Conflict Resolution 101 from Song of Songs. The first piece of wisdom is this. Don't be naive. Expect conflict. You know, in Song of Songs, we've got a picture, an idyllic picture, if you like, of a couple living out the pattern of the Garden of Eden. But every relationship, this side of Eden and this side of heaven, no matter how perfect it might look like on the outside, will inevitably have moments of frustration, misunderstanding and conflict. I read a story this week of a man in India. His name was Mr. Parida. And he reportedly spent 50 years living in a mango tree. Because 50 years earlier, he had a tiff with his wife. And rather than seeking reconciliation, he left and took up residence in the mango tree next door. Now, there were many storms that come through Indian wet seasons and things like that. So he had to move locations every now and again. One mango tree to another mango tree. But he refused to go home and work things out with his wife. Now, that's an extreme example of just pride and arrogance and not being humble enough to try and work out a problem. But even in the most perfect of Christian marriages, there are still seasons of frustration. Let me be honest, Ness and I have been married 16 years and it's great being married to Ness. I absolutely love her and love spending time with her. But there are moments when I deeply frustrate her and there are some times when she frustrates me. Uh, as well we misunderstand each other we make assumptions about how the other person is feeling and make things worse we don't do what each other is expecting I don't put the rubbish out I don't do the dishes when they need to be done there are a whole lot of different little things and big things where we bring frustration and conflict into our 
relationship. That's normal. Sometimes single people have this idea that if they get married, their life will be amazing. Marriage is good, but it's not perfect. And I think every married couple here will be able to say that as well. As good as it is, it's not God. It's not perfect. And you think about it, this side of heaven, what is marriage? At a crude level, it's just two human beings promising to live together, form a family unit, and to share their imperfections very closely. (laughs) Two sinners in orbit around each other. There's inevitably going to be conflict. The question ought to be for Christian married couples is not how do you avoid conflict, because that can't happen. But how do you work through conflict? How do you approach it? Will you choose to ignore it, pretend it's not there? Will you choose to fight dirty or will you fight clean? Will you try and resolve it or leave it fester? I don't know what your experience is like being with conflict resolution. Maybe you never saw it resolved properly in your parents' marriage. Maybe you're struggling in this in your own marriage. Maybe you have friends that haven't spoken to each other for decades because of some issue that nobody can remember anymore, but it seemed to be important at the time, but didn't think it was important enough to seek forgiveness and reconciliation. Now, to some degree, I want to say conflict is good because it does point to the fact that our human relationships, as important as good as they can be, are not the end goal of our existence. We're created for a relationship that will never frustrate us, but will satisfy us for eternity. And so we must remember that when we are feeling frustrated in our relationships, to turn to God and to find satisfaction in Him. But also, just conflict in our relationships doesn't mean that our relationships are doomed to failure. I can remember counselling a lot of young married couples. You know, in pre-marriage, you know, you talk about how to resolve conflict. We've never had an argument. Why do we need to learn this? Well, you're going to have one at some point. And then when the argument does come in the first year of marriage, they think, I married the wrong person. We shouldn't be fighting like this. No, expect it. And you make a decision about how you're going to overcome it together. The second piece of wisdom, I think, from Song of Songs 5 and 6 is this. Seek good counsel when there is frustration in your relationship. It's natural when you're feeling anxious about your marriage or your relationships with your friends or whatever it might be to seek help from somebody, to talk to your friends, uh, to talk to work colleagues, to read a book or search on the web for how to overcome frustration in your marriage or whatever it might be. But sometimes the advice that we get is just like the advice of the friends in Song of Songs chapter 5 initially. Why are you worried about this? Plenty of other girls and guys out there, just leave this one. That, Particularly if you're in a violent or abusive relationship, you need to get out, you need to leave. But outside those extreme situations, and particularly when it comes to scenarios like Song of Songs chapter 5 and 6, where it's just a misunderstanding or a miscommunication that's caused conflict or frustration, seek good counsel that will help you, not just tell you to move on, find somebody else. In an interview recently with the actor Michael Caine, he spoke frankly about the anguish that his the divorce of his first marriage caused. 
He said back in the day, he was pursuing an acting career and it wasn't taking off the way that he thought. And his wife told him and urged him, for the sake of our marriage and the family, please consider doing something else and leaving behind this acting thing. It's just not working. But he couldn't give up on his dream. So he gave up on the marriage. And as he now looks back on that time and how much it cost him and the anguish emotionally that it caused everybody, he goes, the marriage may not have been able to be saved anyway, but I wouldn't have been so quick just to move on. As I've been saying over the last couple of weeks, healthy Christian marriages are particularly good for everybody. And when they fail, everybody hurts. And so if you're seeking advice from your friends, if your marriage or your friendships or your relationships are not what you think they ought to be, and your friend tells you, just leave, just move on, forget about him or forget about her, can I encourage you to say in response, thank you for that great piece of wisdom. Please don't speak to me like that. And if you are the friend that's offering wisdom, to another friend who is in a relationship that they're feeling frustrated by, before you give them any advice, just listen to them. Offer to pray with them and to pray for them. Seek good counsel and give good counsel. The third piece of wisdom I think we see from Song of Songs 5 and 6 is this. In the midst of conflict and frustration, remember to see the person and not just the problem. Remember to see the person and not just the problem. And that's exactly what the wife does here. In response to her friend's suggestion, why don't you just move on? She says, how can I move on? Yes, there is a problem, but I want the problem to be overcome. Why? Because my husband is amazing. He is precious. He is worth pursuing. After spending time dwelling on his positive attributes, she reminds herself and she reminds her friends why it's not worth giving up. And it's, see, this principle, seeing the person and not just the problem, is really important because when you're in the midst of frustration, what you tend to do is just focus on everything that's negative. He always leaves the toilet seat up. He never does the washing up. I always have to do everything else. Or she always spends all the money. She never cleans the bathroom. The hair is still in the drain. And you just focus on the negative and you just breed resentment and bitterness. I'm not saying the problems aren't worth discussing. The problems are worth discussing. But do it in the context of seeing a person. And it's hard to stay bitter when you say things like this. As much as I'm frustrated by you, your body is like an ivory tower encased in sapphires. And your cheeks are like lilies and you smell like the best perfume in the world. Like it's hard to stay bitter and angry when you're reframing the experience in terms of the person that's there in front of you. See the person and not just the problem. And I think that applies to not just marriage, but every relationship. You know, I've been in ministry long enough now to know that in ministry teams, there can be conflict amongst leaders. And sometimes it's just misunderstanding. And so I try and tell leaders, if you're frustrated with another leader, assume ignorance, not malice. Assume that they didn't deliberately try and hurt you. If they did, we can talk about that. But if they didn't, which is usually the case, see the person. They are a brother and sister in Christ 
unique and precious. See that first before you see the frustration and the problem. Not ignoring the problem, but just reframing it in the context of the person that you're in relationship with. And then the fourth piece of wisdom is this. True love pursues. Doesn't give up. Is not passive. But true love pursues. We know that she is pursuing him, not wanting the conflict to eat away at their closeness. And it's quite likely that he has pursued her, given how quickly everything is resolved. True love pursues. And if we're Christians, we know how true that is, because that is how God relates to us. We who are like sheep who have gone astray, each has turned to his own way. Tomorrow at the funeral that we're going to participate in and share in for Alice, the family have asked me to reflect a little bit on Psalm 23. Famous Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus appropriated that title for himself and said, I am the good shepherd. And when one of the sheep wander away, what does the good shepherd do? Ah, oh, let him go. There's 99 here that I can look after. No, that's not what Jesus says. The good shepherd pursues the lost sheep, binds them up, shows affection and love towards them and brings them back into the fold for friendship and fellowship. That's how our God relates to us. And just like the woman, when she pursued her husband, it cost her. The guards that were meant to help her hurt her. Same for the good shepherd. When he went pursuing the lost sheep, he wasn't just beaten up by some guards in the city. He was crucified. But it was in his crucifixion that our conflict with God could be absolutely reconciled. Isn't that good? True love doesn't give up. True love pursues. You know, God doesn't look down through time and wait for us to pull ourselves together before he says, all right, you can come back home. He pursues us and loves us. So if you're feeling frustrated at someone today, your spouse or your brother or sister, your mum, your dad, your kids, your work colleagues, then heed the wisdom of Song of Songs. There will always be conflict in every relationship this side of Eden and this side of heaven. That's to be expected. But in the midst of conflict and frustration, you have a choice. You can ignore it and let it fester in bitterness and dysfunction and destroy the relationship. Or you can pursue and you can seek reconciliation. What will you choose? Now, I'm not naive enough to know that in every relationship, that's not always possible. Sometimes in relationship, conflict is more than just a misunderstanding. Sometimes there can be real hurt. And sometimes that can't just be overcome. And so sometimes relationships don't reconcile. I know that. And maybe that's been your experience. And I want you to know that God will never leave you. That he will always be with you that the Good Shepherd will walk with you through your hurt and your frustration. But outside those times, the natural misunderstandings and frustrations in relationships can be overcome if we're willing to get up, to lower our pride, to say, I'm sorry, and then to hear, I forgive you. 
conflict can become closeness. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, so often conflict seems like suffering, and it is. But we know that even in the midst of the the harshest suffering, your Son shows us that it can become a place of strength. That we can learn so much more about ourselves, we can learn so much more about the other, we can grow together. Father, I pray for those who are married tonight, those who have frustrations in their marriage, those of, those of us that have frustrations in our families, that we might not give up on each other, but that we might pursue each other, love each other, understand each other, and that problems might not fester, but might be talked about and overcome for the good of our relationships and the glory of your name. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.